You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Julie Larson Brisher, Science and Technology Editor for Meeting Place Magazine. Welcome to Episode 6 of Meeting Pod, where we're getting smart manufacturing advice from Paul Kafer, Principal and Managing Member of Anabasis Technical Consulting. Paul is an accomplished engineering and operations executive with over 40 years experience in the food industry, including the coffee, nut, and dairy sectors. But our Meeting Place readers will recognize Paul from his nearly two decades of engineering smart and lean manufacturing initiatives at Smithfield Foods, the world's largest pork processor and hog producer. Before ending his tenure at Smithfield as Vice President of Engineering, Paul's expertise in designing and managing automated processes, complex capital projects, and greenfield construction led to several notable achievements. Among them was leading the design and startup of a $120 million plant in China to produce American-style sausage, ham, and bacon products in a facility designed to U.S. standards. Paul also developed an innovative method to produce dry sausage, for which he was awarded patents in the U.S., Europe, and Mexico. And he's been instrumental to the success of a number of optimization and product development efforts, such as utilizing new slicing and packaging technology to improve the bacon process and developing a pilot process for new meat chips product. Welcome to Meeting Pod, Paul. It's a pleasure to have you as a guest on the podcast. All right. Thank you, Julie. And it's certainly a pleasure to be here and I look forward to it. Well, I know you've been a part of the U.S. meat industry's slow but steady transition to Industry 4.0 over the years. Do you think that meat processors will increase their adoption of or investment in their existing digital transformation technologies in 2021? Or do you have any advice on managing expectations against the realities of implementing Industry 4.0 initiatives? Right. Yeah, I definitely think that Meat companies and actually all food companies will continue to invest in Industry 4.0 and digital transformation, especially, you know, I think COVID has certainly had an impact to spur people to look for more ways to automate and to bring data to people, especially in remote locations, to be able to assess, you know, how our operations running or to do troubleshooting. But like everything else, you know, it's never an easy path to get there especially if you're dealing with older plants. So I think, you know, having realistic expectations is very important. It's not something that you just jump into. The example I'll give you is, you know, you have an old router in your house and you go out and buy a new smart TV and a new game and you're going to do streaming and gaming and all of a sudden nothing works well and the picture freezes on your TV. That's what a lot of plants are contending with as they try to move more data around the facility just understanding really what's involved in getting there and how do you link all of these things that are of different ages and different versions of equipment. Yeah, do you think that part of managing that expectation has to do with whatever your capability is as far as do you have really old equipment versus a really new data management system, for example? Right, correct, yes. I think understanding what you currently have And a lot of times we have a lot of equipment and plants that are automated, but they're islands of automation. They're not really connected to anything. Industry 4.0, 
really takes, or the fourth industrial revolution takes it to mass communication between machines. It's the machine-to-machine-to-machine communication and then bringing that data to individuals to look at digitally. So being able to understand what you currently have, your capabilities, is certainly important. And a lot of times people, their expectations are that, hey, we could buy a software package and install it and immediately everything's going to be connected and we're going to have all this wonderful data. It can be done. It's just not that simple. Yeah. Do you think that that's one reason why it's been kind of slow to take shape here in the U.S. as far as adopting an industry 4.0 strategy that we have obviously older equipment, there's difficulties Mm -hmm. maybe with doing retrofits on plants in general, then you add this super cyber highway stuff. (laughs) Right, exactly. For sure. And a lot of people are trying to move to wireless because if you're trying to connect all the equipment in your plant, you have a lot of Ethernet cables going all over the place. So a lot of people are trying to move to wireless communication, which is another impediment in large facilities with a lot of concrete, stainless steel interferences, electronic interferences. So it's just not as easy as just putting an extender like in your house or something. Right, right. Well, Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about that connection between operations tech and information tech personnel, mm-hmm. because it strikes me as there seems to be some importance between those two departments, OT and IT, communicating better. They need to be on the same page. Do you think that that has anything to do with also this speed of adoption, I would say? I think so. I think so. I think there's been you know a natural maybe not a close working relationship between what your traditional IT office, they handle the payroll systems, all of your office systems, and then the engineers or the OT engineers that program the PLCs and put the equipment in. They've kind of been operating in their own worlds for a long time. And that's okay because the engineers were responsible for the plant floor and what was being put on the plant floor. But now that we're looking to connect these things and to move data across networks, it really becomes important for those two groups to work together. You know, an example, like I talked about having a slow router in your house. When I was at Smithfield, we were implementing a new SCADA system. And one of the issues that we ran into as we started getting the SCADA system up and running was that the network was running slow. The implant network was just getting bogged down because now we're putting this whole new demand on it. So we did engage with IT. And luckily, IT had already been working on an upgrade of all the switches and all the plants was going to be a phased rollout. But had they not been working on that already, we would have gone to them with this dilemma that then they would have had to start from scratch to figure out. We would have had to put in a lot more funding than was planned for with the skater rollout. So we were fortunate, but it it really pointed up the need that you have to have that discussion first. This is what we want to do. This is where we want to go. This is what the needs are going to be of the infrastructure and then have IT work with you to develop that infrastructure so that it's more seamless. Yeah. Do you think as more technologies are coming along that these are the kinds of sort of programs that companies could put into place to kind of strengthen that culture of collaboration between those two departments? I don't know if it's a matter of technologies. I think it's a matter of really management recognizing that it needs to happen. At my last company, which even though was in the dairy industry, we had a controls group. We call it ITOT. Now, they reported to me in corporate engineering, 
but we had a very good working relationship with the corporate IT group. And so there was a lot of collaborative meetings and opportunities to get together and talk through how we're going to handle certain situations. So they need to be involved up front and they need to be invited to the right meetings and get the right communications. Well, you know, there's been a lot of buzz around remote access, particularly in terms of equipment and systems maintenance benefits. Right. Can you talk a little bit about the pros and cons of remote access, especially in the era of COVID? Right. Well, the pros are certainly many. Yeah, they will allow people to remotely log into a control system and see what's going on. And again, just in the past company I worked at, we had controls engineers that were on call. So we might have a guy in one state who is diagnosing a problem in another state, and he's doing that through the network. He was a company employee. But then if we needed to reach out to a OEM, a supplier technician, now it gets a little bit trickier because how do we allow them access to our equipment safely? Years ago, it was just a matter of a modem, a phone modem, so they would dial a phone number. So that's kind of gone by the wayside. Now we have Ethernet, so they'll log in through an Ethernet connection, but it has to be secure. So it can't just be open all the time. There needs to be a lot of things put in place. Like, for instance, the equipment has to have certain switches. They have to have managed switches and not unmanaged switches. How you handle IP addresses is important. You can't just have public IP addresses. They have to be very specific. Typically, you'd want to have the supplier software behind your firewall. So they're accessing their software to operate their operating system on your system instead of them coming in from their system into your system. That's a lot to work out. And so, yeah, the frustration's been that the supplier says, oh, yeah, we can provide remote access. And so the engineer that's doing the project goes to the plant and says, oh, yeah, we're going to give remote access to the supplier. So anytime there's a problem, they can you know, log in. Then when it comes to actually doing it, IT throws up the red flag like, well, wait a minute. We have to be careful here that we're not subjecting ourselves to a cyber attack. And that's a very valid point. And I know a lot of engineers get upset when IT throws up those red flags, but that is a real issue that we've just seen with the recent break-in in the government. With all the government agencies, they were hacked through a supplier. It was a program upgrade. So it's a valid concern to safeguard our system. So a lot of pros, there's really no cons to doing it other than the fact that it has to be done correctly to protect your system from cybersecurity and you have to take a lot more steps. And that's where that close cooperation with IT ops and the ops OT group is really important. Yeah. Well, let's switch it up a little bit. And I know that you are an advocate of augmented reality or AR technology. What can AR be used for in meat processing plants? And how long before you think the industry would benefit from its use? Okay. Yeah, AR, I think, definitely has some possibilities for training to be able to step people through procedures for troubleshooting, not only in just maintenance, but in operations and QA and a bunch of different applications. But it's not like you're going to go out and just buy an AR thing off the shelf. The technology has been around for years. So if you remember the first time you saw the first down yellow stripe on your TV screen for where the first down would be, that's augmented reality. That's how old it's been. It's been around a very long time. But to develop an application, there's a lot of programming and software that has to be involved. 
Pokemon Go wasn't just developed without investing millions of dollars. And I'll give you a case study. When I was with Smithfield, there's a company near me where I live in Southern Virginia here that had been doing defense work. And they were working with a local contractor in Norfolk who was developing satellite antennas for the military that had to be shipped to Europe. And the problem was that when they were being shipped over to Europe, there was a lot of damage that was being incurred because they were improperly packaged. So it was about $10 million a year in damage. So this company developed an AR training solution to basically step people through how to pack all of this gear safely to go into a container to be sent overseas. And they actually tried it out on non-technical people. They brought in people from accounting and, you know, finance group or whoever to actually put the headset on. It was done through HoloLens, put the headset on, follow the instructions, package the unit, and to see if what they developed made sense that anybody could follow it. But just that one instance was over $100,000 in development. So while the technology is there and it can do great things, I think the hurdle is that, you know, how do you finance and invest in all of the different concepts that you can come up with? You know, like if a person that makes a packaging machine wants to develop AR applications for all of their PMs on their machine, it needs to be done for each PM. And so you have to have bandwidth and amping and the capabilities to develop all of those things to then, you know, give to the customer. I think what we're seeing probably right now for AR are things like tablets where you have, you can connect to your plant network and you can hold up your tablet and it will display for you on the tablet in AR a lot of the process parameters. So it'll tell you temperatures, pressures, flows, you know, whatever it is without having to read a gauge or anything. And you can kind of move it around the plant floor and it'll give you that information on the screen with an augmented reality solution. That's probably a little bit more reasonably priced right now. And there are companies that are putting those things out. I think that'll probably be the first step. And then I think down the road, once the technology becomes more reasonably priced, you'll start seeing equipment suppliers. And I've been telling the equipment suppliers for years, the ones that actually do this, I think are going to go to the top of the heap in terms of equipment suppliers. Yeah, it's a really exciting time. Even when we just talk about Industry 4.0 in general, I mean, it's been around forever, forever. It's just that we have been slower to adopt it here in some respects. So these are the kind of new technologies that are very exciting for the future, like all the creative things you could do with them. That's right. But, you know, it's difficult because we have to be ready for the technology. An example that I gave in some of the training that I've done in the past on this topic is if I send you a Word document that's 10 pages long by email, do you print it and read it or do you read it totally on the screen? So if you're used to printing and reading it, then you're not ready to receive all your information digitally. And yet that's what we're asking plants to do, to look at information digitally, to process it, and then make a decision, and then interact with the equipment digitally, all without paper. It takes a little bit of getting used to. It really does. Do you have any do's or don'ts then when it comes to sort of designing and managing automated processes or collecting the right data so it's really meaningful for your operation in terms of achieving your performance goals? Right. I think one of the things that I would really recommend is to do a pilot program first somewhere. 
So, you know, once you decide, okay, I want to do this and you've done your research and you know kind of how you want to do it, what SCADA system you want. A lot of plants in the U.S., of course, are Rockwell-based in terms of their PLCs, but there are many different systems you could put in. But once you figure out, okay, this is what I want to do, then it's a matter of putting it in a plant, working with your IT group, get the basics of the infrastructure in place, and then develop an application and use it. And then see, okay, what data do you really want? What are people going to use? I've gone into control rooms and looked at all of the displays in the control room, and it's like, wow, it's overload. How do you really know what's going on? Is it too much information? Now, of course, I'm coming into this without having been trained on all the systems and really know the screens. The operators that are there intuitively seem to know things, but I tend to notice that they usually focus on one or two screens that they use all the time. So it's like, okay, well, all these other screens, all these other things that are happening then, what purpose do they serve? So you really have to ask yourself those kind of questions. So doing a pilot process would allow you to see, okay, what do people really use? What information that is going to be used? And then use that as a basis for rolling out across the plant. Don't collect every piece of data. If you're going to use it just to be a historian and track what was done, that's one thing. If you want to use it so that people can actually make decisions, then that's a little bit different approach because you want to give the operators more of a predictive look at the process. A temperature is rising too fast. A pressure is going out of whack. Steam pressures are maybe fluctuating. That could mean that you're going to lose temperature on your ready-to-eat process or whatever the case may be. So you want to give them forewarning to do something if you're looking for the control system to reduce variability. So it depends on what you want it to do. I think that guides you into how you want to set up your interactions with the operators. Well, what are you most excited about in terms of automation in the coming years? I mean, it doesn't even have to be this year, but what really excites you now about the next steps for meat processors and automation? I think a couple of things. One is collaborative robots. I think we're going to see more collaborative robots. I've done a little bit of research into that, and I even tried to look at a couple of examples for the last company I worked at, which was a dairy company, just couldn't find the right application, but they're out there. I was very close to, you know, having a couple of things that maybe we could use them for. So I think collaborative robots, you're going to see more of those, especially for some manual operations that are slower paced, that don't need the fast pace of a rapid pick and place robot. And then I think you'll see a lot more using vision and predictive control. I think that's an area to really be explored. You know, how do you feed forward information into a thermal processing system so that it can reduce variability because that affects yield. It affects potentially rework. It affects flavor. There's a lot of all of your cooked products that are out there. Having a more stable thermal process yields a lot of benefits, but how do you keep it that way? You know, for instance, if you're doing batches of meat and one batch arrives at say 33 degrees Fahrenheit and the next batch maybe had a little bit more CO2 and it's at 29 degrees Fahrenheit, it'd be nice for your thermal processing system to know that so it can kind of ramp up prior to that colder meat hitting the first part of the thermal process. Things like that. 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds really exciting, and there's certainly a lot more we could talk about today, but I want to thank you for sharing your expert insights with our Meeting Pod listeners. You've given us a lot to think about. And listeners, if you'd like to connect with Paul, check out his LinkedIn profile. Search for Paul Kafer, K-A-F-E-R, at Anabasis Technical Consulting, LLC. You can also head over to meetingplace.com and access our technical article archives to get more smart manufacturing advice from our Industry 4.0 Connect newsletters. And be sure to look for a series of articles by Paul in the coming year where he'll dive a little deeper into some of the topics we've discussed today. Thanks again, Paul. We appreciate you taking the time to share insights with us. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You take care. Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Meeting Place and Altmate magazines on social media, or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net. <laughs>